So we are going to be reading uh, St. John Cashin. Um, uh, his, uh, this is from the Philokalia, Volume 1, on the Eight Vices. We'll discuss a little bit with the Philok- very briefly what the Philokalia is, who St. John Cashin is, and why I'm having us to read this. We're not... I realized how long it was that we probably and how much stuff like probably a few pages will be all that we get through just because almost every other sentence there's something that I want to comment on I'm sure you'll say why does he talk like that or something along those lines so I will read the whole thing I've I've read you know far enough ahead right now it's been a while since I've read it so I've read far enough now that like there's no way that we're going to get beyond what I've already read and then I might just say, I'll choose certain things, but I encourage you to be able to read the whole thing. Um, and the reason being, why this? So, the Orthodox Church, um, we are very indebted, and more than indebted, we're informed by our faith by the tradition of the Holy Fathers. So you'll hear, you know, when you're doing your your prayers, if a priest isn't present, when you finish your prayers, instead of like the Our Father, you'll say through the prayers of our Holy Fathers. There is uh, an incredible deep sense of the faith has been given to us. It is something, and this is New Testament language too. Paul talks about, I have given uh, the faith, uh, the traditions of the church. um, And you kind of have that Protestant critique where traditions is bad. But I don't know if it's a millennial, by millennial I mean like age thing, but at some point you realize like you're always going to have traditions, so you should actually choose good ones. <laughs> and like, or you're going to instantiate new ones when you reject the old ones. There's no way out of this. Mm-hmm. Tradition is just who we are because we wake up every day, we have to eat, we, have, we get married, we have kids, we like go to sleep. Like all of these, we, we, we make traditions out of everything. Um, to make the end, to enter into that cycle, uh, the tradition of the church. So that means that's a big umbrella term, but some of that tradition means what is in. So the Philokalia is a collection of writings of the fathers. The fathers would have been. Um, uh, they don't have to be priests or bishops, but often they were because at that time, if you can imagine, in 15th century Greece. Um, the people who would have the time to be literate and write would probably be clergy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were um, monastics where they're dedicated to you know the monastic life and service around them and the community that they're in. And, <laughs> and um, the Philokalia is a collection, basically, of traditions of the fathers about uh, not just dogmatic teachings, uh, but teachings about how to pray. How to um, how to actually fight against the passions against sin? Mm-hmm. One of the things that drew me to orthodoxy from Protestantism is like I know I'm supposed to fight sin, but nobody seems to know how to actually tell me how to do anything in regards to these things. The Philokalia is um, a collection. This isn't the only collection. So, for example, what we're reading today, Saint John Cashin, you can you can get other. Uh, of his works, he even mentions it right at the beginning here about the conferences and the institutes. You can buy them. The modern English translations, like I think they're forty bucks a piece. Uh, you can find old Victorian translations online if you want to. Um, but he uh, is, is somebody or stapled. Um, I wanted us to actually read something from one of the fathers, uh, so that you can see when we've been talking about fasting. Um, we're in the middle of Lent, and you'll see with the control of the stomach why the focus on fasting in the church. 
besides scriptural injunction and the our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount presumes that we're fasting. Um, I remember when growing up when you'd hear sermons or something about fasting and it's kind of like fasting was something that you maybe did once like if your wife is about to leave you or something I don't know like you like ash like sackcloth and ashes you see like you read all this old testament stuff and then you realize in the church that you don't do anything (laughs) that the rest of scripture talks about which this was especially Rocky's background you can tell me if I'm wrong in characterizing this but it was it was um a lot of protestants went to revive jewish things because they're realizing they're missing something Mm -hmm. or like that so he grew up in kind of a um uh Christian Jewish thing, kind of messianic Judaism, where where they want to. Well, we've kind of talked about this. Like the church is already blessed and Christified. I would say Mm -hmm. all of those feasts and things of the Old Testament fulfilled those things in Christ, and so we we celebrate the salvific events as they have come to us through Christ. So, I mean, Pascha, Passover that we're that Mm -hmm. we're for the West right now. I want us to read some of the Father so that you feel like you'll realize some of the advice that I've been giving. It's not just something me kind of just making up on my own, but you'll realize like, or, you know, things like in fasting, we have to make adjustments according to people, their position in life, where they're at. If you're celebrating, if your family is celebrating Easter, you don't have that same calendar. What do I do when I come to the table and there's a big honking ham sitting there and I'm not supposed to eat meat? What do I do? Well, the fathers basically say, you don't uh, shirk hospitality. Now, maybe you don't eat like half the ham. I would say maybe like, (laughs) you know, you just like, I have an opportunity to gorge myself. You know, like now it's an opportunity for you to be able to say like, I will not reject the ham. I'll eat a piece of ham. I'll eat moderately, trying to stay within the spirit of the fast, but I'm not going to reject the hospitality of the people that I'm with. Right. This also this will pop up very for us specifically outside of Easter and uh, dates uh, that the Nativity fast happens before Thanksgiving in America. Thanksgiving, like how you're going to have tofurkey? Maybe if you're on your own and you don't visit your family, could you pull off a vegetarian, you know, vegan uh, Thanksgiving? But mostly we do a dispensation um, to say, you know, for this period of time, make the turkey, eat it up give thanks for things actually use it to celebrate and give thanks to god um we're not we're not i'll say we're not a cult (laughs) we're not into mind control but we are also serious about the tradition and what the disciplines and spiritual nature of the church is so if something well i'm gonna stop talking i'm gonna let saint john talk so um We'll read the first paragraph. We're, we're really, I'm going to, you're sitting on it. If you, um, sorry about the quality. I thought I did better than it's. So, I'll go ahead and start reading just so I, well, we've got two phones out. So, um, here we go. Having composed the treatise on Kenobitic institutions, that means um, monastic institutions uh, as a community instead of uh, like hermits. Okay. I am now once more encouraged by your prayers to attempt to write something about the eight vices. Gluttony, unchastity, avarice, anger, dejection, listlessness, self-esteem, and pride. So first, before we get any further, um, the church, you've probably heard of the seven deadly sins, right? You probably realize 
seven deadly sins are in here. The seven deadly sins, uh, that is, is attributed to that formulation to Gregory the Great in the West. Uh, he got it from the East, from Evagra, uh, from the Desert Fathers beforehand. And you might actually, in seeing these, these particular vices, you might wonder, why these? And why, as you'll see, he's, he's got them in order as how he's going to approach them. Why in the world is gluttony the first thing on there? Well, we'll see, okay? <laughs> so, moving on. I shall speak first about control of the stomach, the opposite to gluttony, and about how to fast and what and how much to eat. I shall say nothing on my own account, but only what I have received from the Holy Fathers. They have not given us only a single rule for fasting or a single standard and measure for eating, because not everyone has the same strength, age, illness, delicacy of body, or create difference. Or delicacy of body create differences, but they have given us all a single goal: to avoid overeating and the filling of our bellies. They also found a day's fast to be more beneficial and greater help toward purity than one extending over a period of three, four, or even seven days. Someone who fasts for too long, they say, often ends up by eating too much food. The result is that at times the body becomes innervated. Innervated. I'm mispronouncing that. Okay. Through undue lack of food and sluggish over its spiritual exercises, while at other times weighed down by the mass of food it has eaten, it makes the soul listless and slack. Okay. So first, um, just the fact that we're going to talk about what we eat and how we eat. It's probably not... This is your first guys' first catechism class. You're probably wondering... Well, we've talked about all sorts of other things before we got to this point. But still, I, I could probably begin catechism just talking about this. Why? As you'll find with St. John, all of the things in our struggle in life and the spiritual life is intimately tied up with what we actually do. Mm -hmm. So much of American... And I know some of the stuff I know can be a little repetitious for you guys. But I think... Uh, I'm still having to repeat this stuff to myself because I grew up, we grew up in a society that really puts this gap between my intern, my interior life mm -hmm. and what I do. A lot of that I think has to do with the theology of Protestantism, which is very kind of like ideas uh, that you assent to. Like, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Good. Now I'm in. I'm yeah, saved. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But then if you read scripture and you're like, whoa, I'm supposed to, there's spiritual warfare that I'm supposed to be involved in or like <laughs> whether or not I want to be like, I'm getting attacked or like I can't seem to get out of these ruts. Like I'm addicted to food, to sex, to anger, to, oh, let's just go down the list. Yeah. What am I supposed to do? Well, I would always kind of like pray about it. Do more devotional time. Now, devotional time is good, and prayer is good, but there's a whole, um, I would say, kind of therapy or a discipline. It's all like becoming a Christian is more like becoming a, um, a soldier than it is in uh, going to college and, you know, getting a degree or a diploma at the end, and, like, now you're credentialed. Yeah. yeah. Right. It, and that is how, like, even catechism class, like, this is important because there is an intellectual, there's, like, a teaching moment, but really, I, I try to emphasize and underline, it really is about the practice, the coming to church, the saying of your prayers, 
the actual struggling with your sins, the fasting, and failing all of that, <laughs> and learning yourself, as he's talking about here, where am I at? What do I need to focus on? Who am I? It's almost like you could boil it all down to the Greek and the fathers picked this up too, uh, the Oracle of Delphi, which they don't pick up the Oracle of Delphi, but the basic fact of like you need to know who you are. You need to know yourself. So fasting will definitely help you know who, how weak you are, how easily you are, how disobedient you are to basic rules. <laughs> How much you'll make every excuse in the book and give yourself latitude all over the place. And if you do that with your stomach, this is the, kind of one of the basic points of John, you got to do it with everything else too. Rationalization. Yeah, you will reason, reason yourself, and, and you can reason yourself, because logic works. Whatever your first principle, whatever you assume, you can logically get yourself all the way to hell very easily mm-hmm. to get yourself to divorce, to get yourself to walk away from somebody, to get yourself to do whatever you want. It's really easy to reason. And it's totally rational. And it's cogent. And, you yeah. know, it makes sense. It's crazy. I almost say crazy as hell because, <laughs> like, yeah. it, it's, it's sin. So one of the things that John says here is, like, what I'm going to say is nothing of my own, but it's something that I've received from the Holy Fathers. So this is another point about orthodoxy with tradition is now I have my particular uh, understanding of orthodoxy uh, but that is through what I understand from the liturgy what I understand from the fathers and trying to the best of my ability to be faithful to the teaching of the fathers so I don't trade in at least I think you guys could say I try not to I very I'll tell you here's my opinion about something that isn't about a core teaching or a doctrine. But otherwise, I'll say this is what the teaching of the church is. Mm-hmm. From heaven, hell, <laughs> virtue, vice, um, this is who Jesus Christ is, this is who the Trinity is, down to this is what the fasting rules of the church are. I'll we'll work together, like, tell me where you're at with fasting so then we can work something out. Because as catechumens, like, I don't expect you to have adopted a uh, Athenite, this is a monast- uh, monastic complex uh, in Greece. They're very strict about the fasting, that you have suddenly become a monastery at home. I don't expect that. It'll be years before you're able to even come close to that, and probably at a different point in your life when you don't have a child in the house, will you be able to go fully that direction? And it may never happen because you might have diabetes certain things that curb it. Uh, you know, Moscow Theological Academy at the seminary there in Moscow, in, on, which is in the grounds of Trini Sergius Lavra, which is one of the ancient monasteries in Russia. They serve fish every day of Lent to the seminarians because of their station of life and who they are. I'm almost... I have that in my head, and I think I know where I remember reading that, so I'll review that, but I'm almost certain. Like, if it's not every day, it's regularly that they offer fish. Maybe Wednesday and Friday they don't, but, okay. Do you guys have any questions so far of the little bit that we've read or anything that I've said? Who would like to read? I can read it. Twelve. Twelve. We're already... Uh, who would like to read the next uh, paragraph? From they also yep. <clears throat> they also found that the eating of greens or pulse did not agree with everyone, and that not everyone who could live on dry bread. One one 
within this man. Man, yeah. One man, they said, could eat two pounds of dry bread and still be hungry, while another might eat a pound with only six ounces and be satisfied. As I said, the fathers have handed down a single basic rule of self-control. Do not be deceived by the filling of the belly, Proverbs 15, or be led astray by the pleasure of the palate. It is not only the variety of foodstuffs that kindles the fiery darts of unchastity, but also their quantity. Whatever the kind of food with which it is filled, the belly engenders the seed of profligacy. It is not only too much wine that besalts our mind. Too much water or too much of anything makes it drowsy and stupefied. The sodomites were destroyed not because of too much wine or too much of other foods, but because of a surfeit of bread, as the prophet tells us. Go ahead and read the oh, next sorry. one. No, it's okay. Bodily illness is not an obstacle of purity of heart, provided we give the body what its illness requires, not what gratifies our desire for pleasure. Food is to be taken in so far as it supports our life, but not to the extent of enslaving us to the impulses of desire. To eat moderately and reasonably is to keep the body in health, not to deprive it of holiness. So you can see in St. John the raising up of a principle here, and that is moderation and wisdom as to the spiritual life in general. He's talking specifically about fasting here. Um, as you enter deep, more deeply into orthodoxy and maybe read more, you know, find, you can find all sorts of stuff on the internet. I know Rocky. Rocky and I are Facebook friends, so I can see that he's in certain circles or a friend in certain people, and so you can get exposed to all sorts of stuff. Um, and some people uh, will take it upon themselves to tell you how you should do things. Uh, as you can see, or the principle of the church, um, moderation, uh, that by moderation I don't mean being um, slack in your spiritual life or taking it easy per se in that way, but doing things in a reasonable manner, right? So if you're sick, if you uh, have a young child, uh, if you just gave birth, if you, um, let me just go down the list, uh, you're probably not going to be able to su survive off of the, the Lenten fast, per se, or you might have to supplement it with some things. The main point, besides moderation for St. John, is that we are to take food uh such that it supports our life. I think the important part is in that food is to be taken so it supports our life and not that it enslaves us to the impulses of desire. Food in America, my goodness, mm -hmm. we don't really know what it means to moderately eat. Now, by moderately eat, I mean like we treat like every weekend as an opportunity. I'm going to get a steak. I'm going to get my chocolate cake. I'm going to have my shake on Saturday afternoon. I mean, it's just like, oh, you know, we don't know moderation. I'm not saying we as in like I'm excluding myself. I don't know moderation. I didn't grow I didn't grow up Orthodox. And even growing up Orthodox, we're in a culture that just doesn't know how to do any of this. And we're told it's how the economy works. Anyways, I'm not going to get off on that kind of stuff. <laughs> but you can see the way of life. It's not that you don't cook food that you enjoy eating. It's not that you deprive yourself to make yourself suffer. It is uh, a way of life. I think if you actually talk to a dietitian or if you actually try to like, this would be kind of what they would tell you too. You need to eat things that are good for you sure. and you need to stop eating before you're like, whoa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I'm full. Um, so, any questions so far? Am I in catechism class or dietitian? <laughs> All right. So, let's. Um, we're going to get to. We've already started to get the way uh, of what he thinks. Why we need self-control in eating. Who would like to read the next chapter, uh, paragraph? I'll read it. I gotta grab it okay. A clear rule for self-control handed down by the fathers is this. Stop eating while still hungry, and do not continue until you are satisfied. When the apostle said, Make no provision to fulfill the desires of the flesh, he was not forbidding us to provide for the needs of life. He was warning us against self-indulgence. Moreover, by itself, abstinence from food does not contribute to perfect purity of soul unless the other virtues are active as well. Humility, for example, practiced through obedience in our work and through bodily hardship is a great help. If we avoid avarice, not only by having no money, but also by not wanting to have any, this leads us toward purity of soul. Freedom from anger, from dejection, self-esteem, and pride also contributes to purity of soul in general while self-control and fasting are especially important for bringing about that specific purity of soul which comes through restraint and moderation. No one whose stomach is full can fight mentally against the demon of unchastity. Our initial struggle, therefore, must be to gain control of our stomach and to bring our body into subjection not only through fasting but also through vigils, labors, spiritual reading, and through concentrating our heart on fear of Gehenna and on longing for the kingdom of heaven. Okay, this, this paragraph suddenly opened up a whole lot of vistas here for us. So, I, I'm going to maybe reiterate too much, but there, there's a famous essay written by Father George Falofsky. He was a, a priest and theologian of the last century. Um, and he wrote it because there's this... You'll find part of it is being from the Reformation, stemming from the Reformation, and from abuses that were happening in the Latin Church at that time. Um, not that the Orthodox Church hasn't been in places or that people abuse things or do things wrong. That's that's not my point. But that there was such a reaction to monasticism and to asceticism that if you were to like go to the Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church, depends on the, if a really conservative Reformed Church, they'll talk about asceticism but they won't use that kind of language mm. um, mortification of sin is how they'll talk about it um, in the piety groups they talk about you know Wesleyan holiness movements uh, Pentecostalism coming out of that as well they will talk about spiritual warfare they will talk about purity because they're reading scripture <laughs> I mean you can't get Paul I mean Paul very much these the, the language the metaphors of asceticism and war and all this this is from Paul it's also Old Testament um, but when you get to um, orthodoxy, there is very much a focus on the the struggle against, and one way you could say your pride, your ego, your selfishness, and the way that all of those things manifest themselves. Um, so the I want to I'm going to zero in on one sentence: No one whose stomach is full can fight mentally against the demon of unchastity. Cashin thinks lust is wrapped up with food. So, what does he mean? So, on one hand, he doesn't necessarily mean, I don't think, although I think some phenomenologically, I think there's something to this. When you're fully satiated and like overstuffed, 
it's because you're used to pleasuring yourself. So something like lust and acting on it, if you can't control your stomach, you're not going to control lo- uh, further lower regions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you don't have self-control. Mm-hmm. Aren't there a lot of church fathers that say the same thing? Oh, too? man. This is, this, if, <laughs> this is almost like one of those things. You know, some things like this father has this particular way of saying it. Like, this is one of those things where like a unanimous chorus of like, right, yeah. if you can't submit your flesh to limits... Mm-hmm. In one area, the likelihood of you being able to control yourself in other areas is probably pretty dim. So, now, I think, to underline here, too, though, is, like, he's not saying, very clear, fasting will save you. It's a tool in the toolbox, and ultimately, as you'll see on the next page, which I don't want us to get too far ahead, but it is God's grace that is actually going to free us from... uh, the addictions the um, addictions are basically our passions that have become habits where we just go to them and st- instead of God we go to what makes me what I, my what makes me feel good pleasurable um, you know I get anxious what do I do eat ice cream <laughs> what do I do I watch pornography what do I do I shop shop yeah. oh good uh, you can just go down the list what are the things I do when I'm worried I gossip I get bitter I get let's go bitter resentful I grow despondent like instead of prayer I worry and so you just go down you go to your passion and in fact we all have these and they're like literally this is modern pathways in our brains that are like like they're like super highways where it's like oh I feel this and just like get on there and you go 90 yeah you don't even think about it and all of a sudden you realize it and then the shame comes and then the guilt comes. And that doesn't help. And you don't know what to do. And so what you end up doing is this constant spiral. Mm-hmm. And it's not just around and around and around. It's further and further down. So what do you do? you got to get the hit. It's like drugs. you got to get the hit again. So mm-hmm. that you, because you feel like crap. Now you got to get that hit. And then you realize as soon as you get the hit, <laughs> it's just a cycle. Yeah. And you need stronger and stronger drugs each time. Yeah. So you need to shop more. You need to watch more pornography. You need to, or, you know, all sorts. Of, I mean, you just go, you know, or, right? Like, I can't control, like, I'm just going to eat whatever it is. I'm going to just go snack and snack and snack and veg out, veg out, veg out. All of, so, and the, here's the thing, and I think there's a point. He hasn't said it yet, but I'll say as another point that the Father would say. All of these things that we're talking about uh, and passions, they are natural goods that have gone astray. Mm-hmm. Sexual desire is good. It's where children come from. God gave it to us. It's not unnatural, right? It's what we do with it that is wrong. And this is the key. Like, sin is the wrongful use of something that God has given to us. We're supposed to eat. We have to eat. <laughs> uh, we're supposed to sleep. We're suppo- but you can sleep to excess. So again, you can get this rule of moderation. Like there's a golden mean here of, you know, eating not to excess, not, you know, you could also say like eating daintily where like all I, you could, you could go through the whole fast, you could visit thousands of dollars and eat lobster and shrimp and like the greatest vegan foods and all of these, you know, things that you're in the letter of the law, you're fasting, but in the spirit, you're Pascha the whole time, you know? <laughs> so 
this is what a lot of the depictions of like asceticism or monastic kind of things of like denying yourself is depicted as this kind of like despondent despairing negative like you know like whipping yourself kind of thing and that's what it is is it's freeing yourself from the things that you selfishly absorb uh, because you don't know how to actually love other people and yourself because if you truly loved you would be able to sacrifice if you truly loved you would be free and available to others instead of absorbed in your own self and as you guys are parents you are readily realizing that she is a beautiful little cross you are (laughs) for their salvation because you demand things speaking of gluttony (laughs) you don't know better yet you don't have the reasoning abilities (laughs) so that um, this friendships, relationships, all of these are opportunities for us to actually be able to grow and learn. Uh, I mean, all we we have this idea, I think, or at least I, you know, the cross is something that Jesus did. But we all, as he tells us today in the gospel, have our own cross to pick up and to follow him. That doesn't mean like a kind of religious abstract thing. It means the ability to love other people in a true and correct way. That's why we fast. That's why we go to church. That's why we, with avarice, that's why we, when we, you know, look at our money, we say, all right, all right what can I give? Any questions so far? Anything about what he said here? I want to... Our initial struggle, this is the last sentence, our initial struggle, therefore, must be to gain control of our stomach and to bring our body into subjection, not only through fasting, but also, so fasting is one of the tools, vigils. What are, what are vigils? Now, we have a service that we call all-night vigil, which is not necessarily all-night, but what do you think vigil would mean? Say, okay, that's good. That's getting us there, holding vigil for the dead as... Vigils in a monastic context, this would mean that you'd stay up at night and do your prayers and read the Psalter and do the Jesus prayer. Um, I would say for, for you know, being, doing extra prayers than beyond kind of the basic evening prayers, like you have something, I think we've all maybe have experienced this or maybe not, but like a major event is happening in our life. And so, you know, we really need a job. We need a situation or like... So we start reading Akathists. You know, we, we, we do specific prayers uh, asking God for help or asking certain of the saints for help. That is a form of being able to take vigil, uh, to hold vigil. Another way in vigil is the vigilance, as, as we'll start reading in this next uh, chapter, next section, about the fathers and the teaching of vigilance over our heart. The way that those super highways to go back that of like kind of default modes of dealing with our own sins and things that have blown up in our lives is um, uh, sorry my mind just got uh, distracted there um, is sorry is because of thoughts sin happens first through temptation where the thought of something is presented to us and we say. 
a habit or an addiction means we, the, t- the temptation comes and we're already like buckled in and on the highway right like we're just ah, I'm, I'm there I'm game right temptation then comes and the spiritual struggle is being able to see that temptation when it comes and being able to say I see you what, but now I need to keep vigilance over my heart so that that thought doesn't go down uh, plant roots as it were the first, uh, the first chapter of James talks about this sin it once uh, it is basically assented to then it, it takes root and then it gives birth and it gives birth to death mm-hmm. but it starts here right? it starts in our mind we don't, you know, you don't commit adultery or fornication without you having the idea of that in your head first <laughs> You don't suddenly find yourself in that compromised position unless you thought about it and entertained the thought and then said yes. Labors in spiritual reading. Another thing that the fathers will talk about um, is something I think that's challenging for us is labor and something about manual labor too. That again, we go back to this and we forget that we are we are a composite of soul and body not this kind of like independent driver ghost thing in the machine driving us around you know mm-hmm. um so physical labor and one of the things uh some of us have physical jobs some of us don't and most of 21st century jobs are pretty decadent and sedentary mm-hmm. it is good for us to discipline our bodies through some kind of physical activity and i mean this is all the time folks who are like serious struggles with the depression one of the basic things like what are you eating and what are you doing if you're sitting and playing video games all day no wonder you're depressed yeah yeah, yeah. go outside take a walk like do some push-ups or you know do some sit-ups like do yeah, yeah do things i mean some of this i'll just this so this is why jordan peterson has been popular like yeah. clean your room and make up your bed like you will suddenly realize that there is meaning in life. <laughs> that there's things that you can accomplish and do. And we're just besought, or like, at this time, for some of these really basic things that our culture... We could talk about why our culture is going that direction another time, but... This is also, I think, this is what I'll make a plug for a particular spiritual discipline, and that, that is prostrations. There is some, as you've noticed in Lent... We don't do it during the weekend because of the resurrection of the weekend. That prostrations figure very prominently during the week. Uh, it's tied to the prayer of St. Ephraim. I encourage you uh, to add prostrations as a thing in your spiritual life when you're doing your prayers, etc. Um, and the Jesus prayer, you know. It's not just like that you're doing some kind of spiritual push-up, but it is you're falling down on your face before God and you're praying you are conforming your body to what you want your your soul and your will to be conformed to obedience to him you're falling down you're bowing down before him so that i'm saying that because as a as laborers there 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 is something that the fathers give us as a specific way to uh, break some of our self-will and then there is spiritual reading uh read scripture read the psalms if you can and you have the time and the energy, start reading some of the works of the fathers. You might, this is probably the other reason I want to just expose you, like, is this that complicated? No. In some places it can be a little complicated. We're, we're, I chose an a author that is not as complicated. There's some other stuff. 
And if you're going to try to read anything on the Philokalia, you need to talk to me first. I'll just say that up front, okay. too. So um, that you have some guidance and you're not getting there because you might go like, oh, my goodness, I despair. I'm a miserable <laughs> wretch and I'll never be able to, you know. You think, oh, I'm not going to be like that. Trust me, you will. Because <laughs> you're, you're the desire. You're like, I want to do this. And then you're reading just like, I can't even, like, fast. <laughs> I can't even do one day of even keeping to, like, what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So... Was the temptation? I give up. This orthodoxy thing is crazy. Or like, what are they talking about? And like, that's when you need to come talk to me. And don't be afraid to talk to me. I know that you guys like. I I might not be available immediately. Sometimes I can be, but you know, patient. We we'll set up a time. We'll sit and talk, and you can tell me what's going on, and we'll work something out. Um, you're not alone in the struggle. And the last thing here, guys, concentrating our heart on the fear of Gehenna, hell, and longing for the kingdom of heaven. We, so how do I say this? We're not a fire and brimstone church in the way that some fundamentalist Baptists around here would be like. It doesn't mean that we don't believe in hell. It doesn't mean that we don't believe that you should be cognizant and uh, and sometimes. Uh, like children, we have to treat ourselves where the consequence or the possibility of a consequence, right? Like, if you do this, this is what will happen. Yeah. Allows us to say, you're right. <laughs> I now have the impetus and the desire not to do that because I don't want this negative thing to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Contemplating your mortality, we're all going to die. We're mm-hmm. dying right now. What's going to happen when you, when you die? And are you ready for that? Now, I don't, you could make this into the, like, and you know, already with orthodoxy, I'm talking about all sorts of other things. I'm not obsessed with this, but this is important. And it's something that Protestants can get right, but then abuse it out of uh, fear-based or shame-based stuff. But, like, this is just brass tacks. You're going to die. Where are you going to go? You need to be concerned about your soul. So it helps yeah. to say, hello. I'm not immortal. I'm not self-sufficient. I, you know, when I die, I will be eaten by bugs. <laughs> like, this this body is good and important and has been given to me, but I've got to discipline it and I've got to figure out my spiritual life and get things in order. And the church will always encourage, put those things before you, etc. All right. Is there... I think we should stop there because if we go further... We're just going to get ourselves further into stuff and go beyond the so time for frame. our sake. I mean, obviously, we're you know, obligations, but if y'all want to continue and then just send me it, I'd love to. No, I, I've got obligations too. Yeah. It's called gotcha. my family. Um, are there any questions about any of the things that I just said? No. Now, I don't know about you guys. If it is, you're probably selling how everything in orthodoxy is kind of where we're talking about the same thing, and but we're looking at it at different points of view, and it just as you soak it in and meditate in it um, I just don't, don't become daunted or overwhelmed by it because it's also a type I mean we just talked about heaven and hell <laughs> like um, the church has space as with fasting for everyone to be at different places and need to process and move in the, in the way that they are and the speed that they're going and that's fine anybody have any questions Okay. Thank you very much.